Jesus did this, the first of his signs, in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory. John chapter 2, verse 11. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. This morning, I'd like to talk about the problem of pleasure. The problem of pleasure because, uh, according to the scriptures, at least some of the scriptures, that pleasure in general can be a problem. Jesus is really clear about this in Luke chapter 8. Um, it's the parable of the four seeds that fall on the four different kinds of soil. Or sorry, the seed that's scattered on four different kinds of soil. And the third kind of so- soil, Jesus explains the parable and he says, As for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, meaning hear the gospel, but as they go on their way, they are choked by, and he lists three things, the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. In the context of the parable, Jesus is saying that something as sort of seemingly innocuous as pleasures could be something that chokes out the seed of the gospel, sort of extrapolating from the parable, hinders us from attaining to everlasting life. The pleasures of life are something that the Lord Jesus guards, tells us to be on our guard against. So that's part of the picture, part of the problem, but also in the mix, of course, is the fact that it was God who made taste buds, right? And God who made taste, and God who makes grapes that turn into wine. Um, so I've shared with some of you, I've been curious about sort of wine in the first century, and so I've t- been doing these experiments of just mashing up grapes to kind of see what happens, and it turns itself into wine. It just makes itself. It's like this miracle um, uh, that, that God did that, that he made yeast to attract a grape skin, and wine just comes forth. So it's God who made nature that makes wine, right? It's God who made creation full of beautiful colors and eyes to enjoy them. So you see in the problem, on the one hand, God made all these things that bring us pleasure. And on the other hand, the Lord warns us about pleasure possibly choking out the seed of the gospel. We know, in fact, also from the gospel today, right? Jesus made more wine to make the wedding reception even more festive. So the same Lord who has many stern words in many moments of his ministry, right? the same Lord who lived with perfect watchfulness and seriousness about life also gave wine for the wedding. So we, we, how do we reconcile these tensions? That's what I'm calling the problem of pleasure. How do we hold these scriptural things together? We know that God um, delights in what is good in creation because we see that in Genesis, right? God makes the earth and then he steps back and says, it says uh, in Genesis, he saw all that he'd made and he saw that it was good. So God himself delights in what is good, takes pleasure in what is good. So how do we reconcile these two things? The goodness of creation, which the Bible clearly testifies to, and this uh, danger of pleasures, which Jesus warns us about. Is the problem clear? Do you see kind of what, what I'm trying to smush together? Okay. okay. I think the wedding at Cana, this incident, gives us some clues. Um, of course, at one level, the reason we have this reading in Epiphany is because it re- it's the, one of the first things that reveals Jesus has authority over created matter, right? That in an instant, he can change water into wine. Who 
could do that but the person that made water right it's revealing it's an epiphany that Jesus is divine but the Holy Spirit inspired the scriptures to inspired St. John to say this the first of his signs was done in Cana and I think what the Lord is trying to clue us to when John says this I think seven times in his gospel he says look at this sign right it's showing us things at multiple levels when you see a sign it's invited to ask well what's being signified what is this a sign pointing towards and at this um beautiful event of the way the, the turning of water to wine at the wedding in Cana I think there's several layers here and I want to just touch on just one which I think is solves this problem of pleasure that we have um, so that the first note of the wedding um, the first note is of course that this is a wedding reception and at its best I think a wedding reception is to my eyes one of the heights of like worldly happiness right because it's friends and family and a happy couple who's come together uh, and there's wine and food and dancing and uh, my, my dad's a sucker for that country song that came out a few years back that I hope you dance I mean it's really cheesy but it's a great song also right like that there's something great about dancing at a wedding reception I hope you've all had the chance to do that um, dance your feet raw even um, so it's the setting is one of great earthly joy enjoying the created goods that God has given us right marriage friendship community wine food like it's kind of all there like in one big um, sensory uh, experience so I think the first lesson that we can draw is the fact from the fact that Jesus was invited to the wedding reception that I think we have a sign here for how we can rightly handle our pleasures by inviting Jesus into them right it's one of the marks that a pleasure is either shouldn't be indulged in or is being indulged in in the wrong way if we think we're sort of doing it in a dark corner as if Jesus can't see right? but if we invite Jesus in to say God thank you for making wine this is great Lord thank you for giving me friends and these fellowship meals and these different things if we invite Jesus to the reception we're on the path to having pleasure be not so much a problem but really a part of the world, enjoying the world God has made. Of course, that was very concrete for the, for the um, wedding party in Cana, right? They just literally invited Jesus. For us, who we can't see Jesus with our eyes, this means a spiritual act of recollecting that Jesus is always watching us. He's always in our midst. And in remembering that, that's the simple sort of way of inviting him into the good things of life. I think one of the temptations, and this is true kind of throughout our Christian pilgrimage, is we, we can tend to only invite the Lord into our lives when things are difficult, right? When there's pain or distress or confusion or a decision. It's like then, as Christians, we, and we, it's right to think, okay, I need to go to God in this moment. That's right. But I think we're missing out on the other half, which is inviting the Lord into the good bits. That when you're enjoying a nice walk on the fairway, to thank God for that. God, thank you for making this beautiful morning. Right? To invite him into the pleasure as well as to the pain. Um, if we do that, that sort of act of invitation, 
Um, it will naturally lead to enjoying our pleasures in God-honoring ways. This is what 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, like with regards to created things, do all to the glory of God. And when you remember that Jesus is with us in the midst of a pleasure, it's like, oh, Lord, I want to eat these chocolate chip pancakes for your glory. That happened while I was writing the sermon. I was eating some leftover chocolate chip pancakes. I was like... Um, And um, I think as part of that, inviting God into our pleasures, seeking to glorify him, one of the things the saints have hammered out for us in the, in the practice of this is that there's two principles that always are there if the enjoyment of pleasure is godly. And they are very simply um, moderation and gratitude. Those are the things that transform pleasures. Paul would actually say this in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He says, everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude, for it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. So the pleasures of this life, which could, they have the potential to choke out the gospel, to lead us sort of to become fixed on worldly things and forget our creator and our savior. The way they can be sanctified is through gratitude and moderation as sort of exercises. Um, Gratitude is simply thanking God. I learned not long ago that for long ages, Christians used to pray before meals, as we still do, right? They'd also pray after meals. I was like, whoa, yeah. I, I don't know, I don't, I have not yet found where in history that sort of fell off the grid. Um, but they used to pray after meal. They'd say, for these and all thy mercies, we give you thanks, O Lord. And how great. Like when the belly's full, had a nice glass of wine to say, for these and all your mercies, we give you thanks, O Lord. So that gratitude and moderation. The Lord actually is guiding us on the right pathway. Moderation allows us to enjoy what is good more, right? If I eat too many chocolate chip pancakes, I get sick, right? I actually enjoy the pancakes less if I eat too many of them. So moderation enables us to truly enjoy God's creation. So that's it, gratitude and moderation stemming from our inviting Jesus into our pleasures. Um, there's one other thing, I think, really that can be teased out from the wedding at Cana. Uh, and with this is the final point I want to make about pleasures. Um, only supernatural wine will keep us satisfied. Only supernatural wine will keep us satisfied. Um, the regular wine at the wedding runs out. And had it have sort of been exposed that it would have been run out, the party would have been really kind of like brought low and the guests back then in the sort of honor shame, the, the hosts would have been really ashamed. What does this mean for us as a sign? I think it means that the pleasures of this world will not be ultimately satisfying. We have to be looking for something supernatural, for wine that was made miraculously, if we long to be truly joyful, to be truly pleased in this life. We need something that only God can give. The flip side of that is we need to, as a discipline, not stop at our enjoyment of worldly pleasures. That if we fully sate ourselves on what is sort of an earthly pleasure, there'll be no appetite left for, for what is supernatural. But to actually sort of not take the sum of our joy and our pleasure in the good things that God has made. 
but instead to actually leave room for and sort of cultivate that thirst for something that no earthly wine, no chocolate chip pancake, no nice walk on the fairway could ever satisfy. Um, I actually think that's why God has given us pleasures. When we sort of think about creation, why did God make these things if they could be a snare to us? He gave them to us as signposts, right? That we would see, wow, there's something, this is a delight, this is good, that we would have some appetite for such things, but that we would ultimately take that appetite to this strange, invisible, mysterious relationship that we have with him, right? The Lord Jesus is always using metaphors of, thirst and hunger for discipleship, right? He's wanting to sort of co-opt what our sort of experiences is of chocolate chip pancakes and the like, that we say, don't stop there. Hunger for something more than that, something that will last more than just half an hour of pleasure, but would actually be an eternity of joy. I think sometimes if we get lost in just this world's pleasures, as I was thinking about this, it's like failing to sort of utilize a sign for what it's there for. I was um, picturing, you know, you go to the Grand Canyon, there's all these signs miles out, like Grand Canyon, you know, five miles. If you imagine how sad it would be if someone sort of stopped at the sign and was like, Grand Canyon, five miles, I just love this sign, right? Like, no, 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 if you're paying attention to the sign, you go to the Grand Canyon, right? And I think pleasure is that way. If you delight in what is created, look at the creator, right? the one who made all these good things. Don't stop at the sign. Go on to the real thing. Um, Basically, for every point a preacher wants to make, uh, C.S. Lewis says it best. (laughs) Which is both... uh, And so I want to talk about this quote from C.S. Lewis uh, from his essay on the weight of glory, who, who, who drives this home in words that I've never forgotten since I first read them. He says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. We are like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a vacation at the seaside. We are far too easily pleased. I love that way of turning it around. We're far too easily pleased when we stop at just worldly pleasures. It's easy pleasures that can be a snare to us in our spiritual pilgrimage towards God. We need to make space both in our minds and our habits and in our enjoyments of God's good things to cultivate that hunger and thirst, that desire for a joy and a pleasure uh, that can be found in God alone. When we do that, then we solve the problem of pleasure. Then all the smaller pleasures of this life have their proper place and order when we've saved our biggest appetite for what is unseen. When we thirst for supernatural wine that only Jesus can provide. Amen.